Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. I preached my first sermon 31 years ago. Believe me, it was nothing to brag about. Uh, I was asking Kevin over at First Baptist if he remembered his first sermon. You always remember your first sermon. Um, Not always good memories, sometimes. But I remember mine was very, very short. I went through uh, the beginning to the end, and I was done, and I'm like, that's all I got. Um, I know you're like, well, could you go back to that? No, um, can't. Kevin, on the other hand, his was like a buck twenty. And, uh, of course, he was 20-something years old, and so he had more information and he knew more than I did at 15. But you never forget your first sermon and, and what it does to you when you preach the first time. It, it, it's hard to describe, but it kind of sets something on fire. It kind of sets, sets something on fire that, that makes you never satisfied with not preaching. And... Um, I want to talk to you today specifically about preaching. But, this, uh, but, but I want to be clear because it's within the context of the story here. Essentially the first Christian sermon. Before then there were other Christian sermons. But this is the first official Christian sermon. But it was, um, it was the beginning of a pattern of preaching. And it was the beginning of a... Of, of a of a power of preaching. And the power didn't come because of the message as much as it, became, as much as it came because of the unction behind the message, if that makes any sense. I'll explain that in a little bit. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. Um, a couple weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday, May 31st, my message was out of Acts chapter 32. And as I was preparing for that, I felt like God said, just go ahead and preach through the book of Acts. And then, of course, we had some things happen in the last couple of weeks that I really felt like needed to be addressed through Scripture. And so I kind of put that on the back burner. But I want to get back to the book of Acts because if there's, if there's a book in the Bible that, that we could follow as to how to live as the people of God, it's this book right here. Now, Acts is actually a continuation of the gospel of Luke. So many author or many theologians will say Luke-Acts. So if you ever hear that, uh, Luke-Acts, it's because Luke is like part one and Acts is basically part two. Luke is the story of Jesus and, and uh, uh, the gospel unfolding. L- uh, Acts is the story of the church. So we see the birth of the thing, this thing called the church in Acts. But of course, the Gospel of Luke gives us the reason that the church was started. And so the two are together, and yet we have them as two separate books. Um, there's a whole reasoning behind why that was separated, but that's another message for the day. We're going to start in verse 14, but understand that we're starting after a, a cataclysmic event. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, here's what happened. All of the believers were in, together in one place, right? They were up to, in one place, and as they were praying, as they were seeking God, God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, he did it in a pretty fantastic way. For them, it was tongues of fire that came and rested on them, and they began to speak in other languages. And the reason for that was because in the city of Jerusalem, in that time, people from all over the world had come 
back to the city to worship. And so you had Jews that came to this city and they hear this strange sound coming out of one particular room, but they turn and they looked at each other and said, they're speaking our language and yet we're the only ones of our kind here. Who else is here? And what they were hearing was the message of the gospel. And so this message when they heard it, they were, there were two responses. One, they were perplexed and believed. And the other, they said, these people must be drunk. Right? So that's the context of where we are here. So in chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, Then Peter stood up with, elev- uh, with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Peter stood up with the other apostles. Now remember, there were twelve apostles that Jesus appointed. One of them was Judas, and so he was out of the picture. That left them with 11. And then they added one more, which you'll find in Acts chapter 1. They added Matthias or Matthias. And so they had 11 disciples plus Peter. Peter stood up. He was normally the spokesperson of the group. And he he began to proclaim. He began to address the crowd. And as he did it, when when we're looking at this, it says he raised his voice and addressed the the crowd... Inside the text here, there's this understanding that he was preaching with boldness, with courage, and with power. Now, where did he get the boldness and courage and power from? What happened to him? Because this is not the Peter of the rest of the gospel. This is not the Peter you find in Luke. This is a different Peter. What happened? Remember, Peter was the one who who cut off the servants here, right? When Jesus came to be arrested, he pulled out his sword, and he was a horrible swordsman because all he could get was an ear, right? And this was the Peter who Jesus said, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, he denied him three times. This was the Peter who went out and wept bitterly. This was the Peter who was nowhere to be found when Jesus was on the cross being crucified. You had John, and you had his mom and, and the women. By the way, the women showed up. The men didn't. They were afraid. They went and hid. And so what happened that Peter could stand up and address the crowd with this confidence and with this boldness? Well, I think there were two things. One, he saw the resurrection. The resurrection is the linchpin in the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, our hope is in vain. Because of the resurrection, everything can be believed that the Bible says. If Jesus says it, I can believe it. Why? Because he's the only one that rose from the dead. That's actually a major part of the first sermon that was ever preached. The first Christian sermon, if you will. So I think that the resurrection shook Peter to the core. The death of Christ was a big deal. But anybody can die. In fact, all of us will die. It was the resurrection that that made him say, wow, this is something different, right? But it was the resurrection coupled with something even greater. Well, I say greater. Something something that was more needed for them. It was the, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was inside of Peter. He was able to stand with courage, with boldness, and address a crowd who at that point did not understand. They were mocking. Um, they They were hostile, no doubt. I mean, if if they were hostile at Jesus, they would have been hostile towards the disciples, which is part of the reason they were hiding in the first place after after his death, right? 
And so all of these things, he stood up, he addressed the crowd. I want to say to you, if there's ever been a time for the people of God to stand with courage and boldness and, uh, and confidence, it's now. If there's ever been a time for you and for me to preach the gospel without any reservation, it is now. If there's ever been a time for us to realize that we really do have the gift of life to give to people through the message of the gospel of the kingdom, it's now. Why is it that we, when we stand to proclaim the gospel, we stand with so much uh, fear? Why is it that, that the last time God spoke to your heart and said, I want you to talk about me, you said, oh, they don't want to hear it. Oh, they're not interested. Oh, they won't listen. Oh, their heart is hard. Why is it that our first thought is that they don't want to hear it as opposed to our first thought being, yes, of course they want to hear it. Why do we think that way? Do you know what I'm talking about? Is anybody else but me, right? Because we, I think, have, have misunderstood what it is that we have. We have the hope of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let me put it another way. If you had the, the, the cure to Rona, right? That's, that how, that's what the cool people say, the Rona, right? If you had the cure to COVID-19, if you had what would, solve, what, what would not only cure, but also wipe it off the face of the earth, what would you do with it? I, was, I said this earlier and had somebody come up out of the message and he said, Jeff, actually you got it wrong. What we would do with it is we would hold it to ourselves, figure out a way to sell it and make a bunch of money. That's what we would do with it. I said, yeah, but I'm talking about people who actually love other people, right? If you had the cure to coronavirus, you would not walk around going, yeah, I'm just not sure they're ready to receive this. I'm just not sure that they'll accept this. I'm just not sure that I should offer this life to people. No, you'd be like, coronavirus? Not coronavirus. Uh, whatever you, 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 you'd be passing out, giving it out. You would stand in front of people regardless of what they would think of you and you would freely offer it because if they choose to reject it, then they reject it. But what if they, re what if they received it? They would find healing. They would find hope. You literally would change the entire world right now if you had the cure to this virus. And I know I'm messing up the words, disease, virus, whatever. You know what I'm talking about, right? You literally, because the whole world is afflicted right now, or at least the whole world is focused on this thing. What if I told you that the gospel of the kingdom is the cure for every single affliction the world faces today? Would you believe it? And would you hold on to it so tightly? Would you let it sink into the bottom of your soul to the point where you said, you know what, it doesn't matter what they think of me. I have got the cure to everything. There's nothing that the gospel of the kingdom of God does not fix and make whole. Hatred, prejudice, racism, it's a big deal right now, right? Guess what, there would be zero racism if the gospel of the kingdom were taken hold of. It would, it would not exist because you cannot, love, uh, you cannot love God and hate your brother at the same time. The Bible says that, right? So the gospel of the kingdom, if it, if, it, if it is in a person's soul, they cannot be racist. They cannot be a person of hatred. They cannot be a person um, 
um, who, who, who is a murderer. They cannot be a slave. It changes everything. There would be no hunger if the gospel of the kingdom were preached and heard and believed by all people. Now, I know we're now talking about, yeah, but not everybody's going to believe it. I know that, but just because not everybody will believe it doesn't mean that somebody doesn't need to hear it. Amen? Just because you cannot fix every problem, which I'm not being contradictory. I'm saying the gospel does fix everything because the gospel is about wholeness. But it's only wholeness if you receive it and live it, right? But for those who do receive it and live it, it changes things. The, to me, if, if all I had was the fruit of the Spirit, that would be enough. Wouldn't that be enough to, to trust the gospel if, 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 if I really believe that God would give me those things, which I do believe that, by the way? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Does you know anybody who doesn't want love? That's all we need, by the way. Thank you. I knew you got that. Do you know anybody who doesn't want patience? I know a lot of people without patience, myself included sometimes, but we all want patience. Do, do you know anybody who does not want kindness, goodness, faithfulness? These are things that are a gift from God, and it's a gift from God, obviously, through the Holy Spirit. So the gospel of the kingdom is truly a world-shattering, cataclysmic um, 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 message that, that it's, it's hold up in so many ways is that his people won't proclaim. And we won't proclaim because somehow or another, we must not really believe this gospel that we say we believe. Because doesn't it make sense that if we did, we would not and could not be silent about it? I think there was so much hope in Peter's life. There was so much power. He had been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He saw the resurrection. He had this faith that he stood up and he motioned to the crowd. And he must have been thinking to himself, doesn't matter if you hear me or not. I'm going to proclaim. And by the way, I'm going to trust that God's word will not come back void. He stands up before the crowd and he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. He said, let me explain you a little something. He said, listen carefully to what I say. Do you see the boldness? These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What he does is he takes the current event... And he links it as a bridge to the gospel. The current event is that these people heard, us, heard, heard people speaking in their own language. And they accuse them of say, by saying they're drunk. Peter stands up and says, how can they be drunk? It's only nine in the morning. We're not on Pensacola Beach. It's different. Did you catch that? You can't be drunk at nine in the morning, he says. And certainly in their culture, they would not have been drunk at nine in the morning. And so the crowd goes, oh yeah, that makes sense. Something else must be going on. One of the, one of the things that we ought to be better at, folks, is connecting the gospel to the current life situation of people. We re Why? Because it's a natural bridge. It's an, it's an easy conversation. 
And that natural bridge simply means that we take what they're going through now, what they're wrestling with now, what they're dealing with now, and we show how Jesus is the answer. But you know, you're not going to do that unless you believe Jesus is the answer. And, and, and as I said before, what person doesn't want love? What person doesn't want to solve racism? What person doesn't want to end violence? All of those situations you can use from that conversation as a segue or as a bridge into the gospel. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you do that by remaining in the Spirit. What I mean by that is the Bible says that we're to walk in the Spirit. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, you say to yourself, God, today my only goal is to love you. The way that I love you best is by telling other people of who you are. That's the way you love. I believe that if God were to rate worship or, or offerings of worship, if, if, if lifting up worship through music was one, and I think lift, and, and if lifting up, um, you know, reading the Bible was another, and then sharing the message of the gospel of the kingdom was another, I believe God would rate the gospel of the kingdom as the highest form of worship. You want to know why? Ask me why. I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. Because how do you honor somebody the most? Or how, how can you honor somebody the most? Uh, uh, well, you, you honor somebody the most by saying, this is my dad. He's marvelous. He's, he's given me life. He's made me a new person. That brings glory to God above all else. Because what you're doing is you're inviting someone else into the family of God, which is on the very heart of God constantly. All of the gospel is about God building his kingdom, which is really about God building his family. Is it not? And when you love your father enough that you want other people to be a part of your family, that is most honoring to God. And so when he stood up, he connected the crowd from where they were in their present condition to this is how Jesus fits into this. This is how Jesus solves that issue. But I want to be very clear here. We have got to be careful when we proclaim the gospel, when we preach the gospel, that we don't preach an American or a Western gospel. That's a good place to say amen. Here's why. Because a Western gospel isn't a biblical gospel. It's a Western gospel. Here's what I mean by that. A Western gospel says that the gospel it's about the good news of how you and I cannot go to hell, but instead we can have our best life and we can be blessed and all those other wonderful, fantastic things. That is a Western gospel that does not pass the test of the gospel of Jesus. It just doesn't. You say, were you against blessing? Absolutely not. I hope for it. I pray for it. I acknowledge that God has blessed but the gospel of the kingdom is more than the gospel of me. It's not just the good news of salvation. It's the good news that there is a kingdom and a kingdom has a king and a king is worthy of worship above all else. 
It's a gospel that says it's not just about me going to heaven. It's about me changing my culture, changing by influence, by being salt and by being light. If the gospel is just about me, then once I am saved, once I know Jesus, what else is there except for me, me, me? And that's not what Jesus talked about. And he said, wait a minute. Don't I get to go to heaven if I, if I believe the gospel? Absolutely. But Jesus didn't die just for you. Now, it's nuanced here, but listen. He didn't die for you. He died out of obedience to the Father to make, uh, to pay for the debt of sin. And you fall under that, but it wasn't just for you because if it was just for you, you would be the reason Jesus died. Does that make sense? Again, it's kind of nuanced there, but what I want you to see is that you are not the center of the universe and so much of what we preach, and, and I caught myself this morning saying it to where it might have sounded that way. We say it like this. If, if nobody else would have believed the gospel, if you'd have been the only one, Jesus would have died just for you. I know what we're saying. I mean, it, 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 it does express the, the, the individual love that God has for you, but it, but it shortchanges the power and the breadth, breadth, how do you say that word, of the true gospel. Jesus died to bring glory to God. He died to reconcile the world unto himself. And you and I are just a small, tiny part of that. Here's why the Western gospel fails us. Because the Western gospel says that if I trust in Jesus, I'll go to heaven when I die. God will walk with me. I'll have love, joy, peace, patience. It, it has all of the benefits and none of the hardships. The Western gospel ignores the pain and the trial of following Jesus. It's a half-breed gospel. No, Jesus said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Jesus said, some of you, speaking as to disciples, some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to die horribly because of your, your faith in me. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a list of people who gave their very lives, who were beaten and persecuted and tortured. In fact, one of the verses says this. It says, the world was not worthy of them. That doesn't fit in a Western gospel, does it? See, if we have a Western gospel mentality, and if we, if we proclaim a Western gospel, people don't fall in love with Jesus for Jesus. They fall in love with Jesus for them. And Jesus is worth more than that. Do you know why I follow Jesus? Not because he has saved me. Not because he's promised me eternal life. Not because of the joy, the hope, the peace, the patience, the kindness, not because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't follow Jesus for any of those reasons. Those are benefits of following Jesus. I follow Jesus because he is worthy. That's why. That's why one of my favorite sayings that I've internalized, and I think I say it out loud a lot too, my life is not my own. I cannot go where I want to go. I cannot buy what I want to buy. I can't do what I want to do. I can't, can't, can't leave when I want to leave. I am literally bound to the will 
of Jesus. Why? Because I have been bought with a price. Because I've recognized that Jesus Christ is my entire life. Now I say that, but don't misunderstand. I still wrestle with those things, right? I mean, I still, I still want to do what I want to do, and I want to go where I want to go and all. But, but I'm saying the, heart, the core, the heartbeat of, of, of who I am, to the very best I can, I love Jesus because Jesus is worthy of my love. And if he gives me nothing else in life, he's still worthy of my love. I want, to, I want to challenge you with this thought. If you only love Jesus until it gets tough, that's not really loving Jesus. That's using Jesus. If you proclaim Jesus is Lord as long as the blessings are rich, then Jesus is not Lord in your life. Jesus is a way for life. And that's not what the gospel says about him. Does that make sense? That sounds harsh, but it's really not. It's this whole idea of God saying, I want a relationship with my creation. That relationship is born in love, and it was born in blood. And because Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again, the, the bridge has been laid, and you have been drawn across that bridge by the power of God's Spirit. And as He's drawn you across that bridge, He's pulled you into a sonship or a daughtership to where He's your Father. As we continue through this passage, if you'll look at the, the, verse, the verse by Joel, or the passage that Peter speaks of Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He, he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom by beginning in the Old Testament in Joel. He's explaining what's going on. He's saying, look, what you're seeing now was spoken of in uh, the Old Testament by, of course, he wouldn't have said the Old Testament. Huh? He was said by, by the prophet Joel. He predicted this. He said it was coming. But what I find really interesting is that this was 2,000-something years ago that they thought they were in the last days. You know, we, we have to remember that every generation since then has thought they were in the last days. I find myself saying, guys, it ain't going to get any worse. I mean, we're in the last days, right? And I do believe we're in the last days. But here's the deal. So did the generation before us, and so did the generation before us, and so did the generation before us. You know what we should do? We should be ready and anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he will come back as the King of kings, reigning on high. But we should live as if the next generation will be the ones to see it. It's kind of having a foot in both worlds. One is in the hope of what God is going to do, and one is in the reality of where we are now. There's this eager expectation. 
And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. It is time that we lift our eyes away from the simple pettiness of life, which doesn't seem all that petty when they're midst of it. But we need to realize that our kingdom is not of this world. We belong to something greater. We belong to something bigger. There is a king and a kingdom that brings all things in order. And that king is the King Jesus that we boldly proclaim everywhere we go, whether you're a professional preacher or not. Make no mistake, I'm going to call you because I believe God is calling you, every single one of you, to be a preacher. Some of you may do it for a living like me. Some of you are just going to do it where you go to school or where you go to work or where you do what. But you are a preacher of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And it's the greatest privilege you have ever, ever been given. And I want you to stand up and do it boldly with courage. With full confidence that this gospel changes things. Is it just me? Or is this exciting? Is there something that God is doing? When does the gospel take the most hold? When the world is the most broken. If I've ever seen a broken world, it's now... And we've got the hope for it. So he connects the gospel. He connects the gospel of the kingdom through the book of Joel. And then verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He switches. Peter switches from Joel to a very blatant, pointed conversation about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. One of the things that we like to do now in 2020, 2020, well, 2020, right? And we've been doing it now for several years. We have tried to soften the blow of the gospel. We've tried to, tried to rub off the edges and kind of gently slide it in. We've wanted to not offend anybody, not hurt anybody's feelings, not, not cause people to have, to have to look at things that might cause them to, to feel shame or brokenness or guilt. And so we try to just, just be easy and gentle in the message. But I want to say to you that it is not your job to change the gospel message. It is your job to preach the gospel message faithfully. And the truth is, the gospel message cuts us to the heart. That's what verse 37 says. It says they were cut to the heart. They would not have been cut to the heart if Peter would have said, look, everybody's basically good. Everybody's basically kind. But you know, sometimes we make a few mistakes and those few mistakes really kind of just need to be, 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 you know, be helped over by God. I understand the heart behind that. But there's a boldness with the gospel that demands that we speak truth as truth. You don't say to an addict, you know, you really might consider maybe thinking possibly 
No, you speak truth. If you went to the doctor tomorrow and you had a terminal illness, would you want the doctor to say to you, listen, um, yeah, you got some things wrong. You know, just, you know, try to do a little better. Would you want that? No, you'd want a doctor to say, look, I've got bad news for you. You have a terminal illness and you have five weeks until you're going to die. That's not cold-hearted. That's giving people the reality of the situation. Why? Because you want that person as a doctor, you want them to know what's going on. Is this right? You don't, you don't tip, I mean, you're not, you're not going to be rude. That's not what I'm saying. But you're going to be honest. You're not going to try to soften the blow by changing the information because you want the full weight of what's going on to rest on them so then they can do something. Folks, listen. In our world today, we don't need anybody else telling people they're basically okay. If anything, we need boldness to will, bold people who will stand and say, God is sovereign. There is danger ahead. If you don't repent, God will require from you your own sacrifice for sin, and you can't do that. I'm not in any way saying that we should be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I am saying we cannot worry so much about offending that we shave off the truth of what God has said. Does that make sense? You, you understand what I'm saying here, right? The truth is some of the most loving, kind people who are those who have spoken hard words with love because it's not an either or. You can be kind and speak words of truth. But you cannot speak half-truths and be kind. No matter how kind you sound, if you're not speaking the truth, you're not being kind. And so we're afraid that people might reject it, but the truth is the Word of God has such great power that it will cut to the heart and it will expose the sinfulness of a man's heart in such a way that they cry out to God, God, save me. I am amazed at the number of times that people have, have said to me over the years, again, I've been preaching now 35 years, 36 years, something like that, whatever the math is. I, I, I never cease to be amazed at how somebody will say, you remember back in 91 when you, when you preached that sermon? I'm like, are you kidding? I don't remember what I preached last Sunday, sometimes. 91, yeah, yeah, you talked about this and this. Man, God really spoke to me. It changed my life. I had somebody recently say, they watched, they watched a sermon online and, and, and it ministered to them. I'm like, people do that? The, the, the encouragement that I got personally from that, I, I can't even explain it. And I tell you that to say this. Perhaps somebody in this room, God is calling you into the ministry full time. And you, you've heard the stories and, and, and you're just, man, you're just not sure. You want to do something else or whatever. Listen, I want to tell you that I could have made a ton of money if I were not in ministry. I used to be able to turn things into money like that. 
I mean, just my, my brain is an entrepreneur, and I, I like to do, I would have had all kinds of business. But when God said, Jeff, I'm calling you into ministry as your life's purpose, I died to all of those things. One of, them, one of the things, I, I, I shared this with you before, but if you're a guest here today, let me share with you. One of those things in my heart that I desperately wanted to be was a firefighter. And a call to ministry was death to that dream. And here in the last year or two, I've been able to actually see the fulfillment because we have a volunteer station. Every single time the radio goes off, I'm reminded by God, you never give up anything that I don't see and that I don't make far better for what you've given up. Jesus actually said something about that, didn't he? Again, that's not the reason I follow, but that's one of the benefit, one of the sweet little benefits that God says, look, I'll be your father. I think he actually says, I am your father. I think that's the way he says it. Just, I don't know, maybe not. But maybe there's somebody in this place today that you're feeling a call into ministry. When I woke up this morning, I had such a, such a strong sense that that's the case. I want to invite you to say yes to God. Because you know what? I could have made a whole lot more money, but I could not have been happier. I could not have been more fulfilled. I could not have had more conversations just to see that God really is at work. But if you're not called into ministry full time, that's okay. Because you are called to preach. You are called to proclaim. As they're in the chair, proclaim away. Proclaim away. As they come in and order an Egg McMuffin, proclaim away. As they come in to buy a vehicle or whatever it is they buy, proclaim away. When you're arresting somebody, for those of us who are in law enforcement, you know what? Actually, my dad as a federal law enforcement agent, he used to proclaim the gospel to people that he arrested. Not all of them, because there are certain, but some of them. If you're in school, proclaim away. If you're a student, let me tell you something. All of those cute little things they write in your yearbook, don't believe it. You're not going to be BFFs forever. They're not going to love you like a sister, Lilas, right? They're not going to never forget you. You'll be, a, you'll be a memory as soon as you walk away. But one thing that they will not forget is your relationship with Jesus and how you lived it. My goal in high school was, was I wanted to, I wanted somebody to see faith in me. I wanted somebody to say, my life was changed because you lived the gospel. I still want that. I know that's what you want too. Because I've seen your life.
as you're changing light bulbs, fixing AC units, proclaim away. Amen? Amen. Proclaim away. Stand bold, courageous. Speak the gospel. I'll tell you the end of the story. On that day, nearly 3,000 people trusted Jesus. That's only a work of God. And Peter had a little part of it. Proclaim away. Father in heaven, I pray that you would embolden us with power and with courage and with grace. Lord, I pray that you would remove my words from this message today and only let the things that are remembered be the things that you spoke from your heart. Father, what a holy privilege it is to stand before your people day after day, week after week, and open up your word and say how marvelous you are and call people to repentance and call people into obedience and call people to proclaim. Lord, what an honor that is. I pray for whoever it is in this place who is hearing your voice. Lord, I pray that you would give them immeasurable joy and peace even now. Because you didn't just start to call them now. You've been calling them for for a long time. And just in this moment, you're just confirming it. Giving them that one final nudge. God, you are so good. You are so kind. You're so gracious. Father, help us today to be obedient in Jesus' name. This morning, if you're here and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do so. I want you to say to him, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. I know that I'm broken. But I know that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died. Then he rose again. And because of that, made a way for me to know the Father. So I trust you, Jesus, with my life. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Take control. I'm no longer my own. My life is in your hands. Will you do that? To my very last breath, I want to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Will you join me in that? Make it the thing that you wake up wanting to do. Make it the thing you think about when you lay your head on bed at night. And watch what God will do. Let's stand together. Let's sing.